Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. Turn to somebody beside you and say, I'm so glad that you came today. Go ahead. So glad you're here. Amen. Listen, welcome to the month of October. Um, we're so thankful for to have a 88-degree October. So um, I'm glad. I'm looking forward to uh, all the things that come with that, um, like uh, pumpkin spice at uh, Starbucks. It's always uh, great to know that October is here. Lots of foot football. I didn't even watch the Razorbacks yesterday because I don't care anymore. Okay? I'm just, just throwing it out there. I don't care. I want to give you a recap of kind of our last four Sundays. Uh, we've been um, in, a, in a series called Real Love in an Angry World. Real Love in an Angry World. And we felt like it was a, a timely series. Uh, we felt like there was a lot happening in our, our, our world today that people were just emotional about. And um, so the takeaway of that series has really been this, that people are angry and that you and I are Christians. So how do we deal with being followers of Jesus in a society or culture that is angry? I did catch up on some news this week. I'd fallen behind some, so I, I did catch up on some news. I'm pretty sure that North Korea might not be here come January. And I'm also pretty sure that the president does not need to be on Twitter. Those are the two things that I kind of I took away from that. Um, you know what's sad, though, is that sometimes uh, Christians make it worse. We, uh, we stick our, our fingers in it and stir it up and kind of give it a horrible doctrine uh, in, in the mix of it. And we, and we put Jesus in it, and it's kind of all misconstrued, and we make it really bad. And here's why, because Christ did not call us to be issue-driven, that's just not our sweet spot. The church's uh, sweet spot is not trying to fix people's problems. As a matter of fact, when he said go, um, he, he didn't say go at, into all the world and fix problems. He said, I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to go and talk to people about believing in me and what it would be like to follow me and how their life can be different because of me. And so I want you to, uh, to go and make disciples. So a little bit of wisdom here. The church is about winning people, but sometimes you just cannot win. And this is a biblical principle that was put in place a long time ago, and it centers around the will of man. And even God says, you can't touch that. Okay, You just can't mess with it. It's their will. It's their choice. That's what the relationship with me has to be centered on. They have to choose me. I can't force anyone to act a certain way. I want them to choose me. And so sometimes as a church who's trying to share the gospel, um, you're going to have people look down upon you for that. But keep in mind that sometimes you just can't win it because it comes down to that person's individual will. And that is a biblical principle that is already in place. So today... We are going to conclude this series by talking about something that's very real, and that is the reality of rejection, being rejected, okay? Every single one of us in this place today have some rejection experience, no matter what your age is. Um, some of our children who are in um, elementary ages have already experienced rejection, they may not call it that, but they come home and they say, Mom, Dad, somebody hurt my, my feelings today. Somebody said this to me or somebody did this to me. And, and we know what it is. We know that they are experiencing re rejection. 
But sometimes it does not matter how great you are at loving people. You can do all the things right with loving people and still get rejected. It's just part of living in an angry world. So let me start just by asking this. How many of you have ever been rejected? Let me find out who my audience is today. Yeah, If you are not raising your hand, you will be at some point in your life. Okay, so this uh, is, uh, is applicable to all of us. So when I was in, in my 20s, I played a lot of basketball, a lot of basketball. And I was also a youth pastor at that time, and so I played a lot of ball with our, our youth group. And so after I pulled up in my car, you know, uh, I pulled up to the basketball court, and after I put on my ankle brace and my knee brace and my back brace and, and put two squeezes on my Reebok pumps, come on, somebody. There's my 90s people right there, yeah. Put a couple of squeezes on my pumps, that meant I was serious. They're, they're, no, they're no longer street shoes, okay? It's about to go down. And so I would always tell my, uh, my, my youth group, listen, there's a very serious thing I need to talk to you guys about before we, we play ball right now, is that I'm no longer your youth pastor. I'm your daddy. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, and so it was a very serious transition, and I would say, you know, here, listen, I'm here to play basketball. And in basketball, when you shoot and someone blocks it, it's called a rejection or a block or a pack or a stuff. Like, get that stuff out of here. And it's really, really embarrassing, especially if people are watching, if you have an audience. Because in your mind, you are going to drive the lane and dunk on somebody, and it turns out completely different, okay? Because you can't dunk anyway. You're actually just going to do a great layup. And so you get rejected, and rejection, um, in, in fact, it's so embarrassing that some people play that, that sport with a lot of hesitation and not near enough confidence because they play it with the fear of getting rejected. And sometimes we do the same thing in our, our lives, in our, our relationships, in our roles on, on our jobs. We, we go in very hesitant, and we're fearful that we might get rejected. So it happens, even though we love everyone perfectly. This word rejection comes from the Latin word, meaning to be thrown back, to be thrown back. When we are rejected, we actually feel the pushback from those, from those, those persons or, or people. We feel the pushback. We, we hear them say, I don't like your idea. We hear them say uh, things like, I don't like your attitude. We hear things in our lives like, I don't like you to be my mom. I don't like you to be my dad. I don't like you as my spouse. I don't like you. And the pushback comes, and we feel that rejection in our, in our lives. What's interesting is over the years, there's been a lot of research um, and researchers have studied rejection using functional MRIs to determine brain activity. And so the individuals were led through a time in their lives when they were rejected. And the functional M MRI, the brain began to show the same activity that it demonstrates when the body is in physical pain. And so this could be why even small rejections become something that hinders us because our body interprets rejection as physical pain. We feel it in our body. When somebody rejects us, it hurts. 
When I was growing up, I was very insecure. I know some of you might find that hard to believe. I was very shy. I was very, uh, very quiet and timid. A lot of people could not, not believe when I met them years later that I was in the ministry. And we didn't have a lot of money growing up, and almost all of my clothes were hand-me-downs from my cousins. I mean, y'all grew up in hand-me-downs. All four of you, that makes me feel good. And so I would go to my cousin's house at, at the end of every summer. My mom would take me to try on clothes to get ready for school. And so I would go, and it was always embarrassing to me, especially the older that I, I, I got. And I was like, you know, I'd rather just go and buy my own clothes. I don't want to go and see if they're stained or ruined. I just want my own stuff. And so I went, and one time in the summer, I went to my cousin's house to try on clothes, and I pulled out this polo shirt. I'd never had a polo shirt. And so I put on this, this polo shirt, and then I found a pair of polo pants, and I felt like Don Johnson. That's another 90s re reference. And so I, I'm like, hey, this is going to work. And my mom's like, listen, these things are like nine inches too long. I'm like, we're going to cut them off. We're going to get them fixed. Those are polo pants. And so I put on this polo shirt, and I loved it, and it fit good. You know, it had the little, you know, the little symbol there. And I was like, I'm just, I'd shine it, you know. And so I started wearing this polo shirt to school. And I loved it so much, I wore it four days every single week. And uh, I noticed when I got to class one day, everybody was finally like, okay, it's enough about the polo shirt. We're going to have to talk to him about this. So my friends got around me, or I thought they were friends, and they, they said, hey, is that a polo shirt? And I'd be like, hey, yes, it is. And they'd be like, really? Because, you know, you're wearing, you've worn it like 40 days of school now. Do you not have any other clothes? And then it hit me. They're laughing at me. They don't think my polo shirt's as cool as I think it is. I'm calling Don Johnson. And so that was really the first time I could think about being rejected. I remember uh, white shoes were really in, and they're, they're coming back. But my parents would make me clean them and polish them. Now, if you've ever had white sneakers and then clean them with white polish, you might as well put toothpaste on it. That's what it looks like. And so I'd go to, shoe, I'd, I'd go to school with a shoe paste shoes on. And everybody would laugh at me, and I would look across at my friends. You know, I had these $100 pair of Michael Jordan shoes. I couldn't believe it. I was like, what in the world? $100, you know, for a pair of shoes. I, this is the third time I've cleaned these with toothpaste. They don't look anything like that. And just that rejection that people can put on you, just the judgment, that criticism. I know those things are, uh, are, are not, not weighty in terms to us being grown-ups, but, but you feel it. You understand what they're going for. They are giving you pushback. They are rejecting you. They are critique, critiquing you. Some of you, all of you, have probably experienced some form of this in, in your life. Could have been from something someone said. Maybe you were judged, maybe from someone very close to you, maybe from someone who had told you that they, they love you and now they reject you, maybe a boss, a coworker, a coach, a spouse, a spiritual leader. And I think that we should all be reminded that Jesus was rejected. He was criticized a lot for who he was, for how he carried himself, for eating with sinners, People didn't like the way he loved people. They didn't like the way he healed people. And on what day he healed them. They didn't like anything about him. They were just aiming and looking for something wrong with him. 
So we need to stay steady during these times. And, and here's what Jesus said. Luke chapter 10, verse 16. I'm reading from the NLT this morning. It said, Jesus said to his, his disciples, this is great. Anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. And anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. So what he's trying to tell them is, listen, you're not by yourself in this. I am rejected. You are too. And when you follow me, people are not, not going to like your story sometimes. And they're not, not going to like the way you react sometimes. And they're not going to like the way that you love people sometimes. So when, just keep in mind, when they reject you, they reject me. In other words, don't take it too personally. Here's another verse Jesus talked about concerning the end times. This is a very sad verse. Matthew 24, 12, again from the NLT. Sin, he says, will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold. I think we experience that, that there are some hardened hearts out there. There are some cold souls. Some of us used to be one of these, and we can all harden our hearts, and only God can soften them. An example of that would be the same sun can melt wax and harden clay. And sometimes the, the gospel can do just that. It melts a heart, and it can bring people toward God. But that same gospel sometimes can turn people away, and those people become hardened toward it. Unfortunately, again, that's not up to us. It's not even up to God. The will of man is untouchable. It's God's gift to us. We get to choose him. We get to choose to love him. So we have to know how to deal with being rejected, not only as an individual, but as a follower of Jesus. Because some of you in here, you are sidelined, you are distracted, and you are held back by a moment or a season or a person or a thing in your life that you felt like was rejected toward you. So how can we deal with that? The first thing, and these are very simple. I'm going to teach these to Riley as she gets closer to junior high, which is not long. The first one, have confidence in who you are. Have confidence in who you are. Hebrews chapter 4 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. One version says, Let us do it boldly. Meaning this, there is something about you as a follower that God says, You can come to me with boldness. You don't have to come to me as a beggar, as a pauper, but you come to me as a son or a daughter. You come to me with boldness, knowing who you are. As a teenager, I did one of two things when I was rejected. I would laugh at myself. I would just join other people in laughing at me. Or two, I would try to cut you with words. And I would try to come up with something that was so bad and so nasty and so wrong towards you that you would think about it for a long time. Or I would laugh. No confidence in who I was. Lecrae says, if... If you live for people's acceptance, you'll die from their rejection. I had a pastor one time, and I've, I've told you guys this many times, but it's, it just applies so well to this. I had a pastor one time, and it's been a long, long, long time ago. But he called me into his office, and he was so upset with me over something very shallow. And he called me in. I, I was just a person in the church, just a, a lay person. So I was just volunteering. I wasn't on staff. I wasn't being paid. He wasn't my boss. He was just a pastor to me. And he looked at me, and he said, I, I want you to know that I'm going to do everything I can to keep you from preaching in the state of Arkansas. 
And I got up and I was so shook up. He had a printer stand and I kicked it on the way out accidentally and just about knocked it over. It's like I just, almost just couldn't walk straight out. I was so mad and hurt and rejected about why would somebody in my life feel like I had done anything to them, to a grown man, where they would have to threaten me with stopping any kind of dream that I had. And I was rejected, and I was sidelined. I went to church and sat for a long time, didn't take any notes, didn't take a Bible, put my hands in my pockets. I just went because I felt like I had to. It was really a hurtful time in my life. But John chapter 5 reminds us in verse 41, he says, Your approval means nothing to me because I know that you don't have God's love within you. Okay? The reason this has such strength to it is because we need to know that there's going to be some people who say some things, and we need to just let it go and not give it any weight, not give it another thought, because the love of God is not even in them. It's not like like a mentor or a close friend who is saying something to us out of love. It is a person trying to strategically reject you and sideline you. And so this scripture is the answer. Your approval, your words mean nothing to me because I know, I sense it, I'm intuitive to it, that the love of God is not in you. So I'm, I'm just letting it go. Listen, if you give your life to God... If you stand up for the Word of God, you will have some haters because it's an angry world. One of our pastors this week made this statement. He says, a hater will see you walk on water and say it's because you can't swim. I thought that was so good. Look at them walking on water. They're just doing that because they don't like to swim. Okay, that's what a hater would say. John chapter 12, verse 42 says, many people did believe in him. Many Many did believe in him, including some of of the Jewish leaders. But they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from synagogue. Watch this. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Many of them would not even follow or come close, and they believed in him. But they did not want to be rejected. They were more in love with the praise of man than with the praise of God. And so because of that fear of rejection, it inhibited their spiritual growth. Listen, we do this all of the time. We know that we should pray over our waitress. We see it on her face. We know something's wrong, and we feel like God is just saying, hey, reach out, encourage her, give her a word, pray over her, but we just hold it in because we don't, we don't want to do You know, that's, that's, that's for church. That's not for Colton's. Let's just keep it here. Just calm down. Keep it here. Holy Spirit, calm down. Keep a lid on it. And we, because we don't want to be rejected, we don't want somebody to say, no, I really don't want you to pray over me. Okay, I shouldn't have said anything in the first place. We don't like the feeling of being rejected. But God wants us to have confidence in who we are. The second thing, confidence in who you are allows you to extend grace. I don't know if you've ever seen a bold person, a person who really knows who they are. They can walk into any room, any circumstance, and they are just bold about it. They have a lot of confidence. Now, as Christians, we can be confident without being cocky, and there's a a big difference. And there are some cocky Christians. 
I had a friend one time, and he was so cocky. He was a follower of Jesus, but he he would say anything. He would he would say he didn't care about what people thought. He he wouldn't filter anything. He always said anything that was on his mind. You didn't even have to ask him; it would just come out. And so I would ask him. I would say, "How how do you do that and not feel bad?" And he'd say, "Brother, listen. My mom raised me as a Baptist. No matter what I say, I'm going to heaven." Okay. And then me, growing up as a Pentecostal who was going to hell for anything, I said, I want to be a Baptist. <laughs> I mean, can, can you just slide that over? I mean, can I, can I just like transfer my thoughts over? I want to be a Baptist, right? All you Baptists, lighten up. I'm kidding. Some of y'all are like, I was raised Baptist too. John chapter 13, verse 34, he says, just as I've loved you, you need to love each, each other. We have a lot of Christians fighting a spiritual fight with a physical strategy, okay? You cannot fight a spiritual fight with social media. You cannot fight a spiritual fight by putting it out there and trying to stir the pot. You can't do it. It has to be done with prayer, with fasting, with the Word, with community, with, 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 let, with letting the strength of God come into a circumstance. But the school of thought of the world is you reject me, I reject you back. You judge me, I judge you back. And we fantasize about throat punches and roundhouse kicks. And this is what Jesus showed us. The soldiers who arrested him were gambling over his clothes. And the crowd was mocking him. And they said, hey, listen, you saved so many. Can you not save yourself? They begin to make, make fun of him. They put a sign over him mocking him. And Jesus, in the middle of his rejection, extends grace, and he cries out, Luke 23 and 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Possibly one of the greatest uh, scriptures in the Bible. Father, just forgive these people. They don't, they don't even know what they're, what they're doing. They're so lost. They're trying to reject me, but they're rejecting you. They're rejecting this love. They're rejecting this story. And just, just forgive them. That's confidence in who you are. It allows you to extend grace. And third, you are not alone in this. I want you to look at some of the people in Scripture who were rejected. Noah was rejected, and some of you need, need to ponder on this, by the entire world. The known world at that time was against him. Only his family was for him. Joseph, you know the whole story about the rejection by his brothers. It was very deep-seated, went on for decades. Moses, rejected by the people, he was trying to free up. And they said, listen, we'll stone you, and we'll go right back where we came from, and we'll find a different leader who can get us out of here a different way. David was rejected by King Saul nine different times. He tried to kill him. Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah were all rejected by their, their king. This would be like someone in high power, high authority, targeting you, coming after you, making sure that you were miserable in every endeavor that you set your hand to. That's what they were dealing with. And in John chapter 15, verse 18, it says, Listen, if the world hates you, you got to remember that it hated me first. If they reject you, they rejected me first. You are not alone in this. 
regardless of your story, your background, who did it, the importance of the person who did it. It doesn't matter. I was rejected first. You are not by yourself in this. Your story is not an isolated story. In John chapter 9, there's this great story. I'm going to read just an excerpt from it. It's, it's probably one of my, uh, my favorite scriptures but, and stories, but it's the story about Jesus healing this blind man. Okay, And I believe verse 6 is where it starts. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the spit. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay, and he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. And he went and he washed, and he came back seeing. And therefore the neighbors... And those who had previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? And some said, This is he. And others said, He is, he is like him. But he said, No, I, I am he. It's, it's, it's me. Therefore they said to him, how, how are your eyes open? And he said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and I washed and I came back seeing. And they said to him, Where is he? And he said, I don't know. The great thing about this story is you see this man blind from birth. He has no idea. has no idea who Jesus is. He has no idea. He's, he's never seen him. So Jesus calls him out, and he, and he heals him in a very weird way. And so he spits on the ground, and he, and he takes that, that spittle, and he grinds it into the dust, and he makes a salve, and he puts it on the man's eyes. And he says, listen, go wash at the pool of si- si- Siloam. And every time I talk about this, it, it just this part just jumps out at me. Scripture goes dark at this particular point. And from what, what we gather by reading the next chapter is that Jesus walks off and the blind man is left there, yet he finds a way to, to the pool. But if you, do a, a, if you search out the geography and you measure it from the synagogue to the pool of Siloam, it's about a mile And so there's this blind guy standing there with spit in his eye. Jesus walks off. Somebody has to finish this. And I know that Jesus wasn't there to see it finished because in the next chapter, Jesus walks up and talks to him, and he's asking him about his healing, and and he he doesn't even know that it's him. He's never seen it. He wasn't there when it it finished. He wasn't the one that took him. But someone took this guy, and this is is my, my, my point. Is that there's sometimes in our lives where God is up to something and He started something, but we feel so rejected. We're just in this season and this phase. It's like we're staying there and an audience would just spit in our eye. And we're left by ourselves, kind of in between. And in my mind's theater, this plays out that someone who probably felt the same way that guy felt at some time in his life, walks up and says, hey, hey, buddy, I'm going to, if you'll just grab me by the hand, I'm going to, I heard what Jesus said. He said, if you'll go and wash, you'll be, you'll be healed. I'm going to walk you down to the pool of Siloam. We're going to finish this thing, okay? And in my mind, he takes him and walks him down there, that somebody reached out to him, that we are not by ourselves. This room is full of rejected people full of rejected people. There was this time in, in my life, ministry, I've, I've shared this with you. This is, this is, pastoring this church is one of the, my favorite things. 
but we have served in some very hard places. And I remember I was, uh, after that situation with that pastor telling me that I couldn't, so I was in a service one time, and I was standing there, and the, the Lord told me, he said, I, I want you to let him off the hook. I, I, want you to, I want you to forgive that guy. And I remember arguing with God. I said, no, I still remember it too well to just kind of give him a freebie on this. So, Lord, if you'll just strike him with lightning, we can wrap this whole thing up, you know. God said, no, I'm not going to throw lightning at anybody. I want you to forgive him. And in my mind, I closed my eyes in that service, and I imagined walking up to him and just saying to him, I forgive you for what you said. And it doesn't make a difference that you said it. Because what the Lord has put in me is bigger than your words, and I just forgive you. And I bless you, and I pray over you. And I remember praying over his ministry, over his church, over his family. And something physiologically happened to me. I just, I got lighter. Just there was my heart, the heaviness on my heart just dropped to the floor. And I let it go. And since then, I, I've, I've reached out to him many times and said, hey, do you remember that message you preached one time? I still recall it, and I want you to know that it blessed me. And there are times when you have, have to think through in your spirit and sift it out, and you're not going to have an opportunity to go to everybody who has rejected them, but forgiveness can be one-sided. You can forgive someone and it be over. It doesn't have to be all clean and nice and put in a box with a bow on it. You can let people go in your spirit and it be done. Psalm 118.22, I'm wrapping up. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Isaiah 53.3, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. 1 Peter 2, he was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. Growing up, my pastors would always come to the end of a message and they would say, I want you to bow your heads and I want you to close your eyes. And I always wondered why, why we did that, but that, that actually goes back. That's a very, very ancient practice. The Jews actually just used to wear a prayer shawl and they would take that prayer shawl and put it over their face and they, 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 just to keep from being distracted. And they would close themselves in and make, make a tabernacle. It allowed them to minimize the distraction. And so this morning, I want us to do that. I want us to bow our heads, and I want us to close our eyes. And I want you to let the Holy Spirit guide your mind and your heart today to points of rejection in your life. And I want you to let the Lord help you. I want you to let some people off the hook this morning. I want you to forgive some folks. Because hurting people hurt people, and healed people heal people. And if you let yourself be healed today, you'll be a healer to others.